So it's like you don't get credit for doing a job halfway. And a lot of people get mad about that, but it's like, listen, like I'm so sick of people saying like, oh, women can have it all. They can be full-time mothers and full-time employ uh, employees. No, you cannot. Don't don't give me that baloney. Everybody knows that you can't give your two. kids that baloney yeah. at lunchtime because yeah. you stayed home with <laughs> because them. Because you put it in a sandwich and made it with your own hands. <laughs> That's the baloney you should be giving. You stuck it between two slices of cheap white bread and you shoved it into all of your loving with children's mouths. Side of apples. Welcome to our viewers and welcome to our guests for the first ever Ask Your Husband Women Summit. I'm your host, Stephanie Gordon, and usually I'm sitting right over there, but today I'm right over chair. <laughs> and so we're trying something new here on Rules for Retrogrades. I am just delighted to introduce to you some of my personal friends. These women are fire-breathing anti-feminists. They love the patriarchy. They love all things tradition, and we're going to have a real conversation of substance today. I wanted to host a woman's summit um, in response to some of the Catholic women's conferences that I've seen pop up more and more over the years where they just don't talk really much about anything of substance. It's always hooray for everything. You're good the way you are. Don't ever change type of messaging. And so we are going to take it in an entirely different direction. And we're going to talk about things like mutual submission. How stupid is it? Uh, marital debt, submission to your husband, dressing and modesty, those sorts of topics. So thank you so much for joining us today. To thank my panelists for sticking their necks out and joining me on film to talk about these controversial topics, I actually have embroidered for them a little honorarium, which I will reveal to them along with their bios. And to thank you, our audience, for participating in the conference, sans Tim, I have on our website, Catholicism versus Feminism, PDF, and this is just a gathering of all the the sources that we have in my book, Ask Your Husband, and Tim's book, The Case for Patriarchy, in a 28 document that's really, really handy. You can print it, download it, whatever you want to do. I suggest waiting until Thanksgiving Day when all of your friends and family are gathered around your table. And as is the custom, we all take turns saying what we're thankful for. I say bring this 28-page document out and read every single one of the 28 pages. I am sure you'll get a standing ovation. <laughs> now, without further ado, the first ever Ask Your Husband Woman Summit. There's no such thing as halfway cooks. So I actually have a little something for you ladies to thank you for participating and sticking your neck out, necks out for me um, on this one. So I will introduce you with your bio, with a little honorarium that I embroidered for you. Samantha, you know about the, the sewing, so you know what it yes. takes to do something. <laughs> okay, so our first guest is... The inspirational dewdrop rose of femininity, who is obviously going to be Anita Romero. And Anita <laughs> is the wife and helpmate of Jesse Romero, mother of three grown children, and has six grandchildren. She is a retired registered nurse, joined Jesse's apostolate on fire evangelization 11 years ago. Her role in the apostolate she describes as I helped to heal the body, and now I'm helping to heal the soul. All glory to God. Hello, Anita. Thank you for being here. <laughs> <laughs> Our next guest is the exquisite owl of womanly wisdom. That obviously is going to be my Faith Rummelsberg. 
<laughs> he is my friend of over 10 years, the wife of Stephen Rommelsberg, Catholic influencer and teacher. Uh, Faith is a Catholic wife, mother, educator, and she lives by the motto, the owl of Minerva spreads its wings only with the falling of dusk. Hence, the wise owl here. <laughs> <laughs> Our next guest is, I wonder if she'll know it's her, the glowing pregnant firefly of scholastic wisdom, Miss Demler. You know that's you. <laughs> <laughs> so Lauren Demler is a newlywed. Lauren is a Catholic convert, newly married trad wife. Before her anti-feminist conversion, she completed fellowships with First Liberty and the John Jay Institute. She received a BA from Old Miss and worked at the Declaration of Independence Center. And she and her husband are expecting their first child in June. And Congratulations. And she yeah. also happens to be married to one of the greatest men ever. He was an ex-student of Tim's and just a great guy. Okay, so... Their next guest is the radiant, fashionable bookworm of grace, Ashley Coleman. <laughs> so Ashley Coleman is wife of Andrew Coleman. It's a Catholic work woodworker. Ashley is a cradle Catholic, a South Louisiana native, native and a wife of six years. She and her husband, Andrew, run Coleman's Handcrafted, which we've had on our show before, a small woodworking business making art and liturgical furnishings for the church. Welcome, Ashley. Glad to have you here. <laughs> Next is the talented sea mare of homemakers. And that obviously is the Samantha Bice. Samantha is a Catholic TikTok homemaking instructor. She's a wife to a blue collar Catholic man, mom of three, homemaker of 12 years. And she has been in the liberal cesspool of TikTok for two years now, spreading the trad wife life and teaching skills broken by feminism. Her TikTok is at Miss underscore homemaker, and she's starting a YouTube under the same name. Welcome, Samantha. Thanks for being here. <laughs> and of course, lastly, but not leastly, we have the magnificent sparrow of the domestic arts. Get out your giant phone fingers for Alyssa Hitchborn. Her husband was actually just on our show yesterday. She is the wife of Michael Hitchborn, founder and president of Lepanto Institute. Mike and Alyssa have been married for nearly 21 years with their eighth baby due in May. Alyssa graduated summa cum laude from Christendom College, where she holds a BA in political science and economics. She is a lifelong learner who is passionate about educating. In addition to homeschooling her children, she also teaches at homeschool co-ops and confirmation classes at her TLM parish. So thank you for all of you who are here. Now I do have a couple of honorary guests and friends that weren't able to make it. So I'll just introduce them real fast just to thank them for their friendship. I have, and they know who they are, Gabrielle, the sweet English scone of domestic bliss. Now she would say scone. Uh, <laughs> Jocelyn, the Latinx tigress of high school sweethearts who married her high school sweetheart recently. And then we have Kelsey, my sweet Southern tea of hospitality, who just always gives me such great wisdom. And last but not least, Darcy, my gorgeous mixed race kitten of glee. So thank you, ladies. For all of your <laughs> I will be sending these off to you in a package. And to quote the Golden Girls, there'll be a card attached that will say, thank you all for being my friends. So Let's jump awesome. right in to our questions. So first topic um, that I have for you guys today is in what ways were you infiltrated by feminism and how did you overcome these feminist leanings? I'll turn straight to Faith. Oh, all right. I'm the winner. 
okay, so I think it'd be quicker to address the ways that feminism didn't infiltrate my life and the lives of my daughters, my family. Um, it, it, the only way it didn't infiltrate was through Catholicism, through my faith, through, through my belief in Holy Mother Mary, right? But if we look at the passions, gluttony, um, eating disorders, permeate females specifically, I mean, not specifically, but mostly eating disorders, uh, avarice, look at the Kardashians, look what the Kardashians' mother was willing to do to them, um, lust, music, movies, Cardi B, Nicki Minaj. I, I mean, the list can go on. Dejection. Women feel victimized and they're the victimizer. So, mm -hmm. how, how, you know, that explains itself. Anger, pride. We constantly tell girls they deserve better. You, you're worth it. You can mm -hmm. do more. I mean, all of these different ways that it's really in the ethos out there. We can't, can't get away from it. It's everywhere. Um, anger, that, that, I mean, so just through the passions, um, the seven deadly sins, it's, it's everywhere. And then as a mother, the guilt factor kind of rolls into it because I was, I was a cradle Catholic, but I fell away. Um, I, I was career oriented. I, I had a job. I focused most of my time and my efforts on my profession. And my children, of course, saw that and they're doing the same thing. Some of them, some of them not. But how do you as a mother come to the faith and realize that you did it so horribly wrong? And then not only through the passions and through the seven deadly sins, but then the guilt factor comes in as a mother. How do I tether away all of the feminist trope and try to get my daughters back into a, a life of joy and happiness and motherhood, the, the life they were supposed to have? Um, but all the while, the entire world through slothfulness and listlessness um, we negate our, our primary role, which is homemaker and motherhood. So. Amen. Thank you. And that's <laughs> the, one of the things I love most about Miss Faith here is that she is unlike almost anyone I know willing to just say, this is what I wish I would done and that uh, would have done. And she is such a vital part of a conference like this. So thank you. Thank you so much, Faith, for saying that. Um, Lauren, Miss Lauren, Miss Lauren Demler has a lot to say on this as well. Yeah, I, I, um, I come maybe from the opposite perspective, a kid, you know, that grew up with a feminist mom, um, but turning back towards, towards anti-feminism. Um, so my big thing when I was in college was going to law school, uh, was always taught that that was what I should do, that a career should be at the forefront of my mind um, and at my life. And from that, you know, I spent a lot of time doing extracurriculars, you know, working on my academics um, and working for that final goal of law school and changing the world through whatever profession that came from that. Um, and yeah, I, it wasn't until I met my now husband, um, that these things were challenged. Um, 
And the other thing is that I had a really strong inclination to have a big family. My mom was one of eight and her mom was one of nine. So I had like a thought of, oh, it wouldn't be wonderful to have such a big family, but you know, a career and a big family don't really mix out well. So I was having these, these thoughts and doubts about how I can make both of those things work. And when my um, husband, you know, told me, you know, you really kind of have to choose, right. You know, halfway cooks, um, (laughs) it was really easy to choose the the family because you can, um, if a woman wants to make a difference, she makes a difference with her kids and with her family. Um, the, the screaming lawyer would not have gotten me very far. Um, and <laughs> now I get to go live out the, the teaching our children. And, um, and I'm very grateful for that. Oh, that's so great. And we're grateful for you, Lauren. We're so, so pleased to have you as part of our family now. <laughs> um, Alyssa, Alyssa, do you have something you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I think I remember growing up a lot, you know, like Lauren, you know, being told about not by my mother, but by just the friends I went to school with always about the career and this. And I never wanted that, though. Like, I always wanted to I was good at school, so I wanted to pursue that. But, you know, once I met my husband in college, it was pretty easy to just be like, oh, we're doing this now, you know. Um, But I find that like. I like to think of it as not as an either or like the education that Lauren received will probably assist her, you know, when homeschooling her own children. I find that mine did. And so I I like to think of that as like that there's balance that we can find that I agree with faith that feminism really does infiltrate you in ways you don't realize until you're raising daughters like I have four and I mean, I remember being 15 and my mother trying to teach me to sew. And I was just like, eh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, and I really regret it, actually, because that's not something I have been able. To, I mean, I've had to like employ friends to help my oldest. You know, She's more artistic and things and learn to sew and all that, because I just I wasn't in a place as a teenager, you know, to do it. And so I think that recapturing that in the home through homeschooling is probably the best way to sort of escape the feminism that really just, it's just in the air we breathe in the culture and they see it. So in the home, kind of recapturing that through what we've learned and our backgrounds, I think is probably the way to maybe spare them some of the regrets. Amen. And that's something that Tim and I talk about a lot. Um, I myself, I, I never received a, a college degree, but I have done so much learning uh, about the faith and philosophy just in my off time as a mother reading books. So I, I completely Absolutely. agree. If you already have that that education, being able to translate that into homeschooling and just being a better person in general, it's, it's a great way to use that expensive education, even if you're not out there using that to to, to gain a buck. Um Oh, great. Thank you. Uh, for our next question, I'll direct it first to Anita. And I'd like to hear how does Our Lady inspire you to be a better wife and a mother? Uh-oh. I think, Anita, your mic is off. Yeah, let's see if I can fix that. Okay, there you go. There okay, you go. Yay, there you okay, go. Sorry about that. Uh, no, that's um, okay. You know, I wanted to say something about the first question. Sure. I know you want to go on to this next question. No, no, please. But I agree with the other two that, you know, you're constantly bombarded by the pollution of feminism in your in your mind and, you know, in school and growing up, your condition to go to college, career, uh, in case you get it, you know, you have a career just in case there's death with your spouse or divorce or some type of physical incapacity, uh, your spouse, you could con- continue living the standard of living, uh, keep up with the Joneses. 
taxes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just all these things. And oh, remember, marriage is 50-50. Okay, that's another thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, I want to say this. I overcame those impediments by a metanoia. And, and that was what I meant when what I mean by a metanoia was because when I made the decision to follow and make Jesus Christ the king of my heart. And then the, at this point, I took my faith seriously and things changed. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to share that with you on that. Mm-hmm. But how does Our Lady inspire me to be a better wife and mother? Well, she, obviously, she's the ultimate role mo- model for all of us, us women of faith. She's the one we look to. She's the paradigm. And um, she really inspires me by her example, her obedience, her humility, her submission, and how, especially how she endured, how to learn to suffer. Because she's a prime example of one who has suffered. And to see, I can't imagine watching your son um, going through what he went through, our Lord, going through the, the, the suffering and um, the scourging, the beating, the pulling of the hair, the spitting. I can't imagine being a witness as a mother, see your son go through that. And she, for me... When I have periods of, of what I call suffering, which is nothing compared to what she has, uh, I, have, I, I keep things in perspective. I said, Our Lady has, done, has went through the most horrific uh, time in her life when she's seen her son suffer. And actually, her suffering began at the presentation you know, of uh, Simeon. Simeon. Mm-hmm. When she when she was told that you know the fall and the rise will be you know this will be the rise and fall of your so that's how she's inspired me and mostly through her suffering. I really Anita, I I cannot tell you how much I agree with that. Many of you know my daughter has had many brain surgeries. Uh, most recently, she's had the entire left hemisphere of her brain disconnected. And from the outset of her birth, when I was in the hospital with Rome, and they told me initially when I was still pregnant with her that she, there's a there's a problem. There's a major problem with your child's uh, uh, brain anatomy. That what you just said is exactly a what I told myself. Um, to, to, this, is, this is how I, I entered the Catholic faith is is mm-hmm. through admiration of Our Lady's suffering, um, watching her own son be tortured and humiliated. Mm-hmm. And I remember laying in my hospital bed that that night before Abby was born and saying that if Our Lady can go through, through what she went through. I have no excuse. I, I need to just I need to just carry my cross. So thank yeah. you so much for yeah. that. Absolutely. Uh, Samantha, uh, would you like to handle, um, answer the question to uh, our lady inspired you to be a better wife and mother? Uh, yes. So, um, as a convert, I didn't grow up with a relationship to Mary, but even as a little Protestant kid, I asked a lot of questions about her. And when Christmas came and the nativities came out, right. That's the only time statues are appropriate is the nativity. (laughs) Um, and I was just fixated on Mary and wow, she got to be the mommy, right? Like of Jesus and what that would mean. And then when I became a mother, um, I still had not converted yet when I'd had my first two children. And I connected so strongly with the image of Our Lady of La Leche. 
um, because I, I just got done with a 12 year breastfeeding stint between my three children. Um, so our lady, our lady of Leche is like, she's my girl. Okay. <laughs> it's a lot of breastfeeding. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot of hours, a lot of days. Um, and, uh, and then when I converted and I said, okay, so I can, I can have a relationship with Mary as a mother and my, my own biological mother, um, we don't have a good relationship. My parents divorced when I was very young. Um, so I was, and I, I did very blessedly like have a stepmother that did step in for that role, but I was a, a preteen by the time she came into my life. So I had this like void, um, mm-hmm. And praying the rosary, um, because that's how I started my conversion process was just, well, I'm just going to try to pray the rosary every day. And um, the Annunciation um, is, it's still my favorite mystery. And her words, I am the handmaid of the Lord. And just like really going into that. And what does that mean? So not only being a handmaid to the Lord and doing the Lord's will, you know, do whatever he tells you. Right. She had no idea what Jesus's instructions were going to be. Right. But she just said, Hey, they're going to be great. So just do what he says. Mm-hmm. Um, and that if I'm going to be a handmaid of the Lord, um, I really have to enter into that. And I have to take that all the way through my life. It means following God's plan for the family and what my role within the family is. And that if I'm going to really model Mary, I have to model that life of service in more than just my prayer life. Because I think it's really easy for Catholic women to say, well, I have a relationship with Mary and I pray the rosary and, um, you know, I do all of the prayer things, right? Mm -hmm. But it's taking that and putting it into practical ways into our lives that I think sometimes that gets lost in translation or people just aren't willing to just say it like, Hey, you, you can't just pray the rosary. You need to take this message into your heart and you need to be a handmaid the same way that she was. Amen. I, I always find that with a lot of these women's conferences that they try to edit out of the story of Mary, the fact that she was, a she was purely a handmaid and she was submissive to, to Joseph, even though she is the greatest saint in heaven, she was still submissive to her husband. So uh, thank you very much. For pointing that out. Uh, I'll move over to, to Ashley. How has Our Lady inspired you to be a better wife and a Catholic? That is actually one of the hardest questions that I can possibly answer, because <laughs> even though I am a cradle Catholic and I have, by the grace of God, purely have never strayed, Our Lady is still, for me, absolutely one of the hardest people to have a relationship with. Um, And I actually now in my adulthood contribute that mostly to, to feminism, the subversive feminism that's really infiltrated my life from when I was young. And I don't have that idea of what it means to be a good woman. So in my mind, there's so many different images. Like, so there's the way women should be in the world. There's our lady. And I don't know how she works with that. And what about me and my personality and who I am? None of these three things are working together. And so this is actually one of the biggest struggles for me. And thinking over these questions, I will say one of the best things that has helped me with my relationship with our lady to overcome um, 
the ideas that have been harmful to me and to truly just become the best person I can. Um, my mom, when we were younger, I'm one of three girls, and she would give us a prayer card of Our Lady, and we would all go into our rooms and spend five minutes just looking at the prayer card of Our Lady. Or we would have a statue of Our Lady of Guadalupe. It was a traveling statue that came by in December, and we would all spend time praying in front of the Blessed Mother. And even though my relationship with Our Lady, <laughs> it's, it's so crazy because, again, I should have a strong relationship with Our Lady. There's no reason that I shouldn't. But it's been interesting to me in these past few years to realize how much I struggle in that regard. And I just pray that I know, I know also my relationship with our Lord, he, he will also show me many times we hear, Oh, our lady will bring you to our Lord, which is true. It's of course, always every single time. Um, but he would also desire of me to have a relationship with his mother. And so I trust that in time, as I become a mother and as I grow in my womanhood, that that will happen. (laughs) Amen to that. Thank you very much, Ashley. Is there anybody else who'd like to address that question or the one before if I didn't call I'm, on you? I'm going to actually piggyback on that because she's absolutely right. It is feminism that has dismantled the role of motherhood. And what has really pulled us apart and far removed us from it is the idea of sacrifice. Because as the feminist trope goes, you need to be independent. You need to be able to stand on your own. If something does happen to your husband or your marriage, you have to provide, right? And so that sacrifice, that's in this world, in the material world, that's the sacrifice that a lot of women today don't, they they don't want to have that. They don't want to have that burden, right? So that sacrificial love of being a mother for life um, that we're so far removed from that. And, and, and it is, it is feminism that does that completely. And, and we don't have that relationship with our mother because of that. Well, in my opinion, (laughs) no, that's true. No, that's true. And I think a lot of modern women, they, they read about our lady and I'll always hear them say something like, well, that was how it was back then. Not taking into account that God had the option of choosing a woman in any era of time. He could have picked one from in 2050, but he chose her then. Why? Why? If God, if God is outside of space and time, how does it make sense to reduce our lady's example to, well, that's how it was back then. If he, our Lord, could have picked a woman at any time period, but he chose her back back then. (laughs) Lauren, did you have anything that you wanted to add to that? No, I think that's great. I really liked what um, Samantha had to say about the rosary. It's making me think about it. I actually just uh, completed a um, consecration, um, St. Louis de Montfort's consecration to Mary. Um, And every time I've done it, um, this is year three now, um, you know, I learn new, new and more things about Mary and how wonderful, um, that is in building our relationship with Christ and how dependent um, Christ wants us to be on Mary. And so Samantha's insights about the the rosary were really, really cool to hear because I, I've found myself in reading through the consecration, his insights on the rosary to be helpful in, in thinking through exactly how you'll ask Mary to lead you to Christ. Um, and through the different stages of our lives, 
you know, meditating on the different um, mysteries as they, you know, speak to us and letting God continue to move through us through those, those times. Amen to that. Now, this I, um, next- I, oh, sorry, God. Oh, sorry. I did no, no, want to jump on, on what Faith mentioned. Um, Cause as mentioned in my bio, I am in the cesspool of TikTok. Um, and any, any time that one of my videos hits the for you page. So basically like goes viral or semi viral or, you know, whatever. Um, basically if I get over 10,000 views on something, uh, the nasty comments really start to roll in. And the number one thing that I have heard over the past two years was an absolute allergy to the idea of service. Um, I've been called a slave. I have been told that I don't need to serve my husband and my children, that I need to realize that I'm cleaning the house for myself, which I'm like, definitely not because I'm not a naturally neat person. So this is not for me. Um, but if I even, and even to other Christian women, if I bring up the idea of living a life of service, people's minds automatically go to slavery and Mm. not to love. And I think that that has been one of the most insidious parts of modern culture is that we have no idea of service and love living in the same sphere anymore. No, that, that is, um, yeah, no, that, that I've been called similar things. Um, it's, I, I don't understand in the modern culture, this reluctance to accept obviously the Lord's will, but just like you said, service. And I think when I look at a woman who is serving her family, I see somebody who is in pure devotion and love to her children and, and, and her husband and these women, they do. You're exactly right. The vile, disgusting things. And I think it's because of the unhappiness that they themselves are, are struggling with. Because I think all of us here know what it's like to be loved truly by a man who cares for our well-being. And I think what I'm seeing, unfortunately, in these women is that they don't enjoy that. And so for them, it's almost inconceivable to think that a woman can simultaneously love, protect, and honor his wife, but also say, hey, I'm hungry. Can you please make me a sandwich? (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Let's see here. So uh, going on, I'm going to move this next question, unless somebody else has something to say. Um, I'm just going to say that the service point, too, is important. Um, You know, we either serve Christ or we serve Satan, right? Um, that's our two options. And if you're not definitively serving Christ, you're serving the devil. Um, and that you can easily see how that translates into our roles as women and wives. If we're not serving the master that God has given us, which is our husband, um, then we're serving either, you know, some boss um, or we're serving our own slavish desires, um, that will lead us further into sin. So it is It is a beautiful um, sanctifying process that we learn and have the privilege of being sanctified in this way of learning learning to be submissive as Christ was submissive to the will of the Father, as Mary was submissive to, to the Father as well. Um, all, you know, the, when, you, when you kind of shake it all out and you get into that mindset, it becomes really clear um, what a good Catholic woman should do and who she should serve. 
you know, what's surprising me, surprised me uh, when we, Tim and I first started doing the podcasting thing, I, I just assumed, it's so naive, I, I, I laugh at myself when I think about this, that when we're out there preaching or talking about the faith or, or just advancing Catholicism, that we would get a bunch of friends. <laughs> it's surprised to me how many fellow Catholic women were just spitting like acid. It's almost like that dinosaur off of a uh, uh, Jurassic Park where it's just like it flares out and it starts spewing acid. Like some of these Catholic women like are just freak out and call me the, the worst names for advancing what Mary did in her lifetime and what the church actually does teach. We have this whole 28 page document here that we're offering uh, free on our website filled with evidence of what the church teaches on these subjects. And they just, instead of reading, they want to just like Samantha said, or Lauren said, they just want to be out there calling names. It's like, all right, fine. That's fine. <laughs> but don't, you think that's, don't you think that's because they have kind of, you know, it's a straw man. They have this idea of what submission is, mm-hmm. you know, that it looks like, you know, barefoot and pregnant, you know, scrubbing floors, drudgery all day. And so like when you use that word, that's the image it conjures. And therefore, mm-hmm. you know, they get all, you know, poison dinosaur on you. Like, <laughs> It's like maybe we need to recapture the definition of what it is. Like, you know, to me, there's something going about going back to the blessed mother. It's her gentleness inspires me because, you know, growing up, it was always like you got to work hard if you want to get anywhere. You know, it's always got to be like driving yourself. And so remembering that, like, there's a principle of gentleness. And Mary was able to just treasure things in her heart. That we, recapturing that is, you know, that can be a new definition of submission, which isn't about, you know, drudgery and, you know, slaving for people. Although I agree everything Samantha and Lauren said about the idea of service. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we have to recapture, I think, the definition of the word, the connotation of the word. I'm so glad you mentioned that because our next question is right. Piggybacks right on that point. And I'll direct this to Anita. And I, I'm wondering um, the question is, what do you think is wrong with the modern idea of mutual submission, i.e. the husband submits to the wife as much as the wife submits to the husband? I I was just meeting with a friend of mine, Kelsey, yesterday, and she she we were talking about this question. And she came up with the, the most perfect example. She's like, I don't know where this mutual submission to your husband came from. She's like, but it's as stupid as like giving a child two blocks and say, hey, kid put both under each other. It, it doesn't make any sense at all. Anita, what do you have to say about this wild mutual, notion? Yes. Yeah. This mutual submission. Um, number one, this is a disorder in the marriage. There's a disorder there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it showed, you know, in, in Genesis chapter three with Eve, she listened to the serpent and Adam's mistake was to allow her to take charge. Mm-hmm. So by this, he was derelict in his duty. So he brought death, a death sentence to the entire human race. Um, but we, now we know what it is. It's what is it? Original sin. Mm-hmm. So what does the natural law dictate? The natural law. We know that uh, any woman of faith knows the natural law. And the husband is the head. The wife is the heart. The husband also is the final decision. Um in the home with whatever comes up and uh, his, his wife, um, as long as, you know, the decision he does decide on his final decision, of course, with, with uh, 
with mutual understanding and communication, what's best for the family, um, as long as this decision doesn't cause the wife or the children to sin. So that's, and so, you know, this mutual submission has never been, it's, it's, this is a, uh, this is a novelty in our society. You know, we both have, you know, uh, you have to submit to me and I have to submit to it. No, that's, that's incorrect. Mm-hmm. That's definitely incorrect. And that just gives you an idea of where the faith, their faith life, their faith life is in the home. How much is, a, is the husband actually leading the wife to heaven? You know, that is right there. That's um, the balancing act in that marriage if they have this idea that we both submit to each other. Um, so that's, that's what I would say about this. And I think uh, this is, it could bring death to a marriage because there's that struggle that you, you know, you have to do what I say, not what I, I don't have to do what you say or vice versa, whatever. Uh, and I think the woman has a lot to, um, you know, there's a book uh, that I read. I know, I don't know if any of you have read this, but it says how to, ch- how to change your husband. Well, oh. it's not about changing your husband. It's about changing yourself. Amen. Amen to that. And, you know, and yeah, and Jesse, you know, he read the book first. He goes, you need to read this. And I said, yeah, I'd like to read this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll read this book. And I read it and I said, wow, I'm glad I read it because mm-hmm. now I understand I can't, I got to change myself. If I want a better marriage, if I want a, a, a better husband, it's all about me. Mm-hmm. It's about my faith. It's about how I, I, I see uh, my husband and his leadership. Mm-hmm. And I have to yield to that. And that was, a, 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 that was a struggle early in our marriage because I was this career woman and, you know, all these things, you know, we had it all, but we didn't have Christ. We didn't have the Blessed Mother. You know, we were Catholics in name only, but not practicing Catholics. So um, that's what I would say. Thank you. I, I, I noticed that something early, early in my marriage, because I was also in the, the cesspool of feminism and uh, not fully, but at least enough where if Tim and I had a disagreement on for a real life example, when he first wanted to go to Rome, uh, originally, I was like, well, I don't want to go live in Rome. And, and uh, eventually, one of us has to give in to the other. <laughs> it became very clear to me once I started reading scripture. It's like, yeah, it's me. That's me. I conform to his wish. He has the right as the head of this household to take our household wherever he likes to go. <laughs> and I just have to be there for the ride. Uh, Faith, do you have anything that you'd like to add to that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so what mutual submission does is it leaves a home rudderless mm-hmm. and it eventually leads to acedia because it blurs the lines of who shoulders the burden. And then that eventually leads to a power struggle Um, that, you know, clearly we are naturally um, adept at certain things. Women are better at things in the home. They just are. We care more about it. 
obviously you're going to throw the garbage. I'm going to do the dishes because I know how I like them washed and I know where to put them. And I know how to stack a washing, the dishwasher. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it just ends up in this power struggle that really just doesn't need to exist. And that's over 30 years of experience, ladies. (laughs) You know, 30 years this August and, um, yeah, it leaves a home rudderless. It's funny. I always think about that exact point when I'm watching TV uh, with Tim and there'll be a commercial on. Well, it's like the the bumbling, stupid husband is in there fumbling over the dishes and the wife's just standing there, like giving him directions. And I'm always like, honey, then you take it over. What are you doing? This is so ridiculous. This notion that like the smarter wife is like helping this husband who's like fumbling over the dishes. Like, yeah, you know what the problem is? That she wasn't originally doing the dishes is the problem. <laughs> uh, uh, um, does anybody else have anything they'd like to add to that question? Um, um, you know, oh. go ahead, Samantha. Uh, uh, so just, just a quick thing. So it can either leave a home rudderless, like Faith and Anita both said, um, or I think, and I've seen this happen, um, watching other people's stuff <laughs> go mm-hmm. on. Um, both are trying to outwardly submit to each other right but because like you said that's a perfect example get two blocks and try to put both of them under the other it -hmm. doesn't work um so either they're not doing anything so they're rudderless they don't have leadership or interiorly they're both trying to be the boss because they're waiting for the other person to submit to their will Mm -hmm. because well he's supposed to submit to me and he's thinking well she's supposed to submit to me (laughs) So mm-hmm. in in the end, someone is going to have to make a decision. And if that is not clearly delineated, you're going to end up with two very unhappy people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lauren, did you have something you'd like to add to that question as well? I was just going to go to where we got this idea from, which is in Ephesians 5, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But if you read that in context, you see that um, St. Paul is talking to Christians generally, and he says that, and he ends his statement. And then he says, now wives submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also should uh, wives submit to their husbands and everything. In what world of Catholicism does the church submit to Christ? I mean, this that Christ submits to the church? It doesn't. <laughs> no, right. You know, we, we aren't churchians we're christians we submit to christ um and so it's it's just a ridiculous notion to say that um we would submit that christ would submit to us that's the model right so why would the submissive unit the wife um be the one that submit that is the head and that the man the leading unit is the one that submits to the wife you know like all these ladies said it really it it keeps the family from moving in any real direction um, and could even, you know, lead them both in different directions, um, which is often what it does. If, if both want to have a will, you know, they will continue on their separate paths and never be able to come together as one. Um, and yeah, it's just, you're not reading scripture if you think that that's what, what the Bible says. Um, it is a ridiculous, ridiculous notion to think that, Christ would submit to the church because I, I sure hope Christ wouldn't submit to the church with some things that <laughs> happened in the past and in the present. 
Yeah, with a certain pontificate, that would be a bit horrifying, but <laughs> I digress. Um, I will, unless somebody else has something they'd like to add to that, uh, that question, I'll move on to our, our next one, um, which I'll direct to Samantha. Uh, what does realistic submission to your husband look like in your household? Um, I, I think the first and biggest one is that he has final say in things. Um, so just as a, for instance, we're trying to figure out our backyard situation. Um, I wanted to enclose this little patio area that has a roof over it, but it's like still open to the backyard. And I was like, oh, we could just enclose that. And then the snow won't blow in. And, you know, the cat could go out there and wouldn't really be outside. And he was just mulling it over for a while, I guess, because a couple of months later, he's like, yeah, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. <laughs> and that was, that was it. Um, and I think that if you had told me back when I was 18, that I would have just went, okay. Uh, I would not have believed you um, because I'm very naturally argumentative. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, and just being able to trust um, and have, have faith in him. Right. I mean, that's, I think that's what this really comes down to with submission in the everyday life is that I have to have the faith and the trust that he is strong and capable and has my best interests at heart. Um, and so just don't argue. Um, and, and then I think, um, for me at least, and knowing my husband's temperament very well, it also involves me just not bringing up some things and, what I mean by that is not that I'm going behind his back and not asking something. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband has a very giving heart. If I say that dress in the window looks really pretty, he will walk inside the store and go buy it for me. Mm-hmm. And it would be very easy for me to take advantage of his very generous nature. So it, I just keep my mouth shut <laughs> when I see something that I like, but I know I don't actually need it. I just won't say anything. Because like I said, if I say it, he's going to do it. And I don't ever want to get into a pattern of behavior where I'm taking advantage of his temperament. Amen. My Tim is very similar to that. That's uh, many people may not know that. Or many, many of you actually do, do, do know that. If I, same thing, if I say, oh, I like this, it'll be like in a shopping cart and no questions asked. So I, I love, I love that answer. Alyssa, did you have something that you'd like to add to this question? Yeah, I think the same thing, you know, I try to, you know, we'll we'll have a discussion about something, whatever it is. And then ultimately it's like, okay, you have the final say on it after we've discussed it and hashed it out. And I find that very freeing, actually, Mm -hmm. that there is a certain amount of surrender to authority that allows me to be like, okay, well, I, I presented what I thought was the best idea. And now I don't have to like, have this sitting on my shoulders anymore. Like we've discussed it. And now the decision is no longer mine. I can push that off my plate because I have plenty of other decisions I have to make on a day-to-day basis that it's very freeing to be able to say on these, you know, whatever it is, whether it's house projects or something to do with children, you know, to just say, okay, well, I'm going to let you <laughs> have the final say. And, and it, I, I, like I said, I find it's very freeing. And that's one of the things I tell my daughters. I said, the most important thing you'll ever do in your entire life is picking a husband because this man will be responsible for the decisions that your household makes for the rest of your life. 
you know, our girls talk a lot. They're, they're still very young, but they, you know, they're very small and they're cute and they're talking about, oh, what is my husband going to be like? And, you know, it's like, it might seem kind of heavy handed to be like to an eight-year-old. Well, you better <laughs> pick a good one, but it's really yeah. true. It's really true. Like this is the person that you are going to be submitting to and, and relinquishing power to, and, or not even that you had, had it to begin with, even that's wrong, but like you, you, ha- this is the person that will be making those decisions for the rest of your life. It's, it's vitally important. Anita, did you have something you'd like to add to that question? Yes, sorry. Uh, Mine's probably going to be very brief. Brief. Um, I think uh, the the realistic submission to my husband would be this. God first, husband second, Mm -hmm. children third, and me last. That's how I would, that's how it was actually in our house. But then again, when the kids were younger, obviously, sometimes the kids came, the children came first. But I try to always remember that it's always God first, my husband second, children third, and me last. So me being last, I'm going to be just knowing that I'm going to serve them and submit myself to my husband's um, authority. And, um, Obviously, like we've already heard it, you know, communication and make it coming to a final decision. But I think that's what I would describe it in my in our household as 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 that God first husband, children and me last. Amen. I love that. Ashley, do you have something? Yes, Yes. I was calling you. I see you and I. There it is. Um, I think what surprised me. So what surprised me the most in um, we were about three years married before we really decided to take on more traditional roles and more traditional views um, in our marriage. And what surprised me the most in terms of submission was the mental battle. It's not even necessarily about how I'm because if you just think about how you're behaving exteriorly, that's just posturing. That's not a reality. And so for me, what was the biggest struggle and the biggest conversion was the mental battle, choosing not to criticize him, even in thought, not thinking about, you know what, I would do that differently. Because Mm -hmm. if I'm really going to submit myself to what, to the authority of my husband, I need to give it all up. If Andrew's going to do something, do it. I'm not going to think about it anymore. Obviously, unless there's a huge problem, you know, or, and I say problem in the sense of like the Holy spirit is really like, Hey, hold on, chill out. Let's all, let's all think about this again. Um, it also means asking for help when I need it. Um, instead of taking on that independent woman mentality that I love so much, um, asking for help and really submitting myself to, Hey, Andrew, I need help with this, or there's just too much. I know that I just can't handle all of this right now. Um, and all, just not complaining in general and go to go back to what Samantha said, just not talking very much at all, just not speaking up. And what I found, I was really surprised when I found that even if I just held my tongue for five minutes more, everything worked out great. It was so <laughs> surprising. I had no idea. Just keep your mouth shut for five more minutes and you'd be so surprised. You never know. The secret weapon of womanhood, keeping your mouth shut. <laughs> I mean, if you think about that, that's the fire breathing, angry feminist right there. They're constantly angry. They're always angry. What you can't win for losing when no matter what he does, I can, I can find out 10 reasons why it was wrong. Uh, that's, you know, that's a huge feminist mental 
spasm. And if it's the idea is really bad, he'll figure it out on his own. (laughs) Figure it out. (laughs) I'm sure it's like exactly right. It's like there's never been an instance in my life with my husband where I'm like, you know, like revealing something enormous to him that he hadn't already considered like like four and a half years prior. (laughs) No, I will say, too, I also thought that us being self-employed woodworkers was a bad idea, but then it happened. So here we are. <laughs> I, I kept my mouth shut and now we're here. So I just, there we are. Which by the way, good. beautiful work. Uh, Coleman's have handcrafted. You guys have basically just created an entire house for us. So <laughs> thank you for all your beautiful work. <laughs> no, thank you. Cause you know, we wouldn't be here without lay people who want to do good things for the church and for the, for, you know, clergymen who want to do good things for the church. So it's not us. Now, Lauren, you are our newest wed on the panel. So do you have something you'd like to add to us about how submission looks like in your household? I think everything that these ladies has echoed um, was said, or has said, I would like to echo, it was beautifully said. Um, Yeah, I never realized how many decisions um, I don't get to make. And that's honestly been a beautiful thing. Like, uh, it's, it's a burden that I don't have to deal with anymore. Um, like Alyssa was saying that I, you know, it, sometimes it, it's takes a second to be like, okay, we're just going to have to accept what you're doing and, and move on. Um, but that changing mindset was, um, was really helpful in saying, okay, he's a decision maker. I don't have to worry about decisions. If I just do whatever task I'm told to do with, you know, I have a smile on my face and a good attitude, life just keeps on trucking and it's great. And that's, that was hard for me as a high strung <laughs> former feminist to get right. But once I did, it's, it's made our marriage a lot better. Amen well, to that. Can I ask a question? Cause I've actually had some women approach me with this question of, well, what if what your husband is, deciding to do, they really believe is bad for the family, you know, whether it's, you know, and again, maybe giving children cell phones, the husband insists on it and the mother thinks it's a bad idea, or he's making a financial decision, which she thinks is going to be terrible, like for, for their family and their future, Mm -hmm. like, and she's given her input and he's still just, you know, maybe it's because he hasn't experienced a conversion of heart or whatever, you know, he's just stubborn, just wants to do it. How do you address that? Do you just say, okay, well, I'm just going to trust that the Lord's going to carry us, you know, and I hope my kids aren't looking at bad things on those cell phones you're getting them. Or, I mean, how do you surrender and find peace when that's the scenario? Because I've known several women who have brought this to me. You know, what I always tell my friends when they've asked me that question, I don't know, you guys, please uh, jump in after me. But what I always say is that the husband has the rule of the household and everything but to, to, to sin, right? So a husband can tell us what he likes, what he prefers, what he wants to, to do outside of instructing his family to sin. If he says, don't go to mass, then obviously the wife in that instance owes her allegiance to God first. The God supplants, so to speak, the husband in that in that realm. But when in areas of prudence, like the cell phones and things like that, in my household, if, if Tim and I were on a different page uh, about cell phones with children um, and he said, yeah, we're going to get it. Then I just, I, I literally, I'm just like offering it up to God. It's like, okay, you know what? The best thing I can do in this situation is not argue with my husband. If something bad befalls, this comes out of this situation, then that's on him. I, I He heard me out 
I said my piece. And if he makes a mistake as a father and leads the family astray, that is entirely up on him. And I married a good man. So I know that once he sees an error, he will fix that. He will go back again and he'll even approach me if I was advising out, out. Otherwise, he would have said, you know, Steph, I I went with a I, I you know, your, what you advised was actually good and sound. I probably should have gone with that. He will come to me and, and say that. So I think it's just relinquishing, relinquishing and everything except for sin. Does anybody yes. else have something? Yes, I do. Um, yeah, it's Jesus. I trust in you. Ultimately, you know, we just got to trust in the Lord when we make decisions and we don't agree with the, the husband's decision. Absolutely. He's got authority and he's going to, it's, if it, if it, it goes south, well, now he knows, you know, that your idea was much better. And uh, yeah, and it's, I, it just goes back to, you know, trusting it in uh, the Lord. Jesus, I trust in you. Okay, Lord. There it is. There's there's our decision, and um, I'm going to trust that everything goes well. Got to be positive. Amen to that. If I can say one more thing, um, in the only like response I would give to that, um, of course, like ultimately, of course, my husband does have the the decision there, um, but I also do consider it um, as second in command, as his best friend, as someone who knows him better than anyone else. That if there is, we have run into these same, everyone runs into these situations. If Mm -hmm. there's a situation where Andrew and I are truly, truly disagreeing, um, sometimes my temptation is to use submission as an excuse to um, later hold something against him and say like, well, you know, I told you so. When really it, uh, I have found in, in my journey to, if I, if there's something that I so, so truly, truly, truly believe is a bad idea and is not going to work. Um, I will come and say to him, Andrew, as your wife who, you know, who knows you better than anybody, I truly, truly believe this. Ultimately I will do whatever you want, but I'm, I want you to know that I truly disagree with this. And that still gives, and to do that with the utmost humility, of course, not Mm -hmm. to be manipulative in Mm -hmm. that. Um, Mm -hmm. That is what I found to be most effective. So in the sense of like, I'm, so I'm not bottling up my resentment that he's making what I consider a bad decision. I'm expressing to him, Hey, this is either upsetting to me, or I think is a bad idea, but ultimately like this is the last you're ever going to hear from me on this and we're going to do whatever you want to do. End of story. Um, and I think old, and that's the only real, not pushback of course, but again, that's something that I had to struggle with myself. I would, because I would just say, well, you know, whatever you want and then go and stew in the corner and later be like, well, I was right. Uh, but It doesn't work like that. (laughs) So that's really the only like middle ground I would, (laughs) I would offer there. And I think that's a good, um, it is good middle ground to offer a woman who may be struggling to have a strong opinion or feel like sh- what is going on is wrong. Um, but ultimately it, it is, it is up to your husband and it is up to God how, how it works out. It's a sacrifice to offer. It is a sacrifice in yourself to say, you know what, I have to offer up that this suffering of what I truly believe we're going to go through, just offer it up. It, it'll work out. <laughs> Amen. And that's something I've struggled in with my marriage as well, is that I, Tim and I enjoy a very close friendship and it can be tempting sometimes to 
forget the hierarchy in that situation where when you're very good and close friends, Tim comes to me all the time and he asks me, oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Understanding the line in the sand where it's like, uh, ultimately, this is his decision and he's going to make that. And sometimes he will not take the advice <clears throat> that I offer him. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, you know, that has been an interesting <laughs> development when I was still in my feminist phase where I'm like, huh. I thought we were friends. How come he's not taking my advice on this? It's because he has the right not to. <laughs> Does anybody else have anything they'd like to add to that? I, I would. Um, so, of course, I, you know, young in our marriage did exactly what you explained, you know, let him fail and then revel in my, you know, infinite wisdom over him for a while. Right. I did that. But there was there was a time I want to say about 10 years ago that I really came to the understand. Well, we're the understanding that we are, we are, you know, not just a married couple, but I am his first mate. Mm -hmm. So when he makes a decision, even though I think this is going to end in, you know, absolute foobar, Mm -hmm. my job, I take it up as my job to make sure it becomes successful. Okay. So I start to look at all of the, I've already I have already in my feminist mind figured out all the 10 ways this is going to fail. So then I flip it, started to flip it and say, okay, well, let me put this in place. So that doesn't fail. Let me put this in place. Let me do this. How can I support here? What can I do here? Um, And that's kind of, you know, after I, I, I guess I did kind of get over some of my feminist problems (laughs) and, but that's one change that I made. Um, And, and it really has brought us closer together in um, more of an intellectual way. Um, But that's, that's my contribution. I really love that answer. Because like, I think what we've pinpointed here is that when women in this culture disagree with their husbands and, and advise them to do something. And they do the, the opposite of that. Like Ashley said, you take that, most women take that as opportunity. Like I told you so, but what faith is saying there is exactly right. If you disagree with your husband, help him make us make it a success. I, I couldn't agree more with that. I, I just absolutely love that answer. Hey, thank you for that. Actually, that's very instructive. I'm going to be thinking about that one. <laughs> Anybody else have anything they'd like to add? I just wanted to add, uh, yeah, from a neg- what could be a negative and a disaster, you're making it into a positive. And I think that that is just, I mean, that's brilliant. I, I, I love that. And I'm, I'm going to incorporate that now. Because um, I do have a tendency to, to to be a little negative. Why? Why do you want to do that? That looks awful. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks a lot, Faith. Well, we uh, all do. I think it's so. I was important. on. I, I was on this panel to to hear this for me. Right. Yeah. And we're we're all here because I think that that we have to somehow develop a strong sisterhood for our daughters. Um, I have, my daughters are all adults, so 20 and older, and it it has been so hard to battle the secular world, battle, you know, social media, battle all the Kardashians. I blame them for everything that honestly (laughs) battle it all. And then with that really having sort of motherhood and, and Holy Mother Mary stripped from our being and what really makes us we're supposed to be not giving that to our daughters. So I ha- I'm, I'm actually having to backtrack and try to, to make up for decades um, with, with my daughters and showing them, you know, ch- choosing, choosing a good husband, a good, faithful Catholic husband 
is going to be the answer to everything. But but have I really prepared them to be the wife that they're supposed to be? And and this is so important to have so many more podcasts like this. I know when Steph wrote the book, I said, you have to do this. You have to get these, you get women together. Let's get the, get panels of women together that show we can do this and we have to do it for our daughters because we can't ask men to rise to the occasion if we're not willing to prepare our daughters for them. Amen to that. And actually that goes well with our next question. In order for women to rise to the occasion, somebody has to tell them the truth about what they were created and made for, right? Well, we've had a situation in the church for the last several years where we have in Bibles or in gospel readings during mass, the bracketing of Holy Scripture, meaning the editing or censoring of passages that relate specifically to the submission of the wife to the husband. So I'm curious what you guys think the church thinks about withholding the truth from women. Do they think we're so sensitive and flighty and irrational that we can't handle just the basic facts of what God created us for? I'll go to Lauren for that one. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think, um, I don't know if it's that we're flighty. I think maybe they're flighty. Um, (laughs) You know, it's a terrible practice to rob women of all ages from their vocational duties. Um, As all of us have shown, wifely submission is a beautiful thing. And it makes for a more beautiful home and loving relationship. Um, where there's not two people forcing, you know, a woman trying to force her will on her husband. Um, So the fact that some have specifically censored the truth goes to show how full of cowards the modern church and just modern society in general is. Um, We need bold clerics to stand for the truth and compassionately discipline their flocks. That might be a hard, hard thing to want to do, but it's, it's a good thing. Um, You know, it's, it's truth is hard, especially when it goes against the mainstream. Um, that's the problem today that almost everything goes against the mainstream. That's true. Um, but I think that if there are going to be good priests and men willing to die on this hill, um, to die for the family, that is the only way to save it from what the devil wants to take away from us. Absolutely. Is there anybody else who'd like to tackle that question? Did you ever wonder if they're just trying to avoid like the howls of rage? (laughs) I mean, I have met women who just, I mean, have said such shocking things about priests, you know, (laughs) because of the priest dared, you know, to say something about modesty at church or dared to say something about whatever. And the, just the howls of rage. I mean, I feel like priests are just tripping all over themselves being like, no, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. You know, like I meant this, this beautiful thing, not this, this terrible thing. And I don't know. I think that there needs to be a lot of conversion in the hearts of a lot of women, you know, to hear that authority coming from the priests too, you know, not just like their husbands, but like from the church. And I agree with Lauren that there's been, unfortunately, a lot of cowardice in leadership, you know, men don't know how to be men. And so women are able to kind of come at them with their howls of rage when they dare to say something that sounds against the stream. Absolutely. Samantha, what do you, I I've thought about this so much. I, this has been driving me crazy. Like the, the bracketing of Holy scripture. Do you have anything to say about this? I've noticed this more and more when I go to churches, it's like, they'll, they'll read Ephesians five or, 
if they do that at all. And then it'll be like, well, that's how it was back then. Or they'll just put it in these hard brackets, like, never mind, Holy Scripture. What do you have to say about this? Um, no, I, we only have Novus Ordo available here. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what we attend. We used to go to a parish that did bracket that reading when it came up in the lectionary um, and just completely just skipped over it. It's not there, right? We don't need to read that part. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the other parish that we go to now is far more traditional um, and they do not bracket. They don't actually bracket any scripture, even if it's just because it's long, right? But when we read Ephesians, they read the entire passage um, and I would, I would like to say, uh, you know, what was the saying go like, don't, don't contribute to malice. What is probably more contributable to ignorance or weakness or incompetence. Right. Um, so I'm not sure that there's a bunch of priests and bishops that have put a ton of thought into this other than the fact that they don't want to receive angry letters. (laughs) Um, they don't want to hear it from the people in their pews. They don't want angry feminists blowing up their email. Um, because unfortunately, because we've led all the lay women to think that we have a huge right to have a huge voice in the church, they'll be the ones to write the emails, right? Oh yeah. Um, so I, I think, I think that's honestly more what it comes down to today. Now I could say back when they made the decision that that scripture could be bracketed in the lectionary, that perhaps there was a different intent there. Um, Mm. but I mean, I, I know it at least for my parish, uh, I don't think any of us women had an issue with the whole thing being read. My husband and I, we got married as Episcopalians, um, but their marriage service is almost word for word the same as the Novus Ordo marriage service, which is it's a whole other can of worms there. But um, so we have a lot of the same reading options and all that, but we get to pick our readings. I don't know if you get to do that in the Catholic mass, but anyway, um, we picked Ephesians five mm. and we read the whole thing. And let me tell you, it raised major eyebrows. We got married at 20 and 21 and all of our friends were in the pews with their eyebrows, like hitting the ceiling, I think. Um, but Amazing. it would, what, what I wrote down, because I, I made notes, this is the type of person I am. Um, what I wrote down was, um, you know, the, the apostles and, and the disciples said, Lord, this is a hard saying. Um, Jesus didn't back down, right? Um, he's like, yeah, sure, it's hard. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> that's right. Um, and I, I think that's what we, I think that's what we need of our priests is that we need to just hear the hard things um, and just let us sit with it. Amen to that. I know we're on limited Can I add time. Something? Yes, Can I, I was add about something to again. <laughs> we're like right in line with each other. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You know, the church has absolutely done a disservice to the faithful. Absolutely. Uh, both men and women, you know, we desire and 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 we want the guidance and, and to give us what our roles are in 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 our faith and in society. And many times people are just, you know, just not sure. So that's why they make there's always these mistakes and that's why holy scripture is the way to understand god's divine will for all of us and our roles and by the church doing that it's just i mean i think they're committing the the sin of omission omitting that and for example um you know what does a submission mean you know sub means under 
Uh, what is mission? Means to be sent forth with authority to perform a sp- specific service. That's what that is. So wives, then we, we're called to put our, themselves ourselves under the mission of our husbands. So that's what it's all about. And I don't think that is explained. I wish the priest would go up there and explain what it means. And, you know, in Greek, the word submission is huputasso. So that's what that means. Um, there's an example of a submiss- of a, of a, of Peter, when he was killed in Rome, you know, he was forced to watch his wife crucified next to him on Vatican Hill. And all through her agony, St. Peter would tell her, Oh, thou beloved, remember Christ, remember Christ. So because Peter felt so unworthy to die as Jesus did, he, he died upside down. He was crucified upside down. So here, just going back to submission, here was Peter's job. The wife submitted to him. And he was giving her courage not to deny Christ at, at the last minute. And um, I think with, if, if our clergy would stop being cowards, I'm going to call it what it is. Many of our, our, our clergy are, are cowards when it comes to these types of verses. And I think us women, we need to reassure them and encourage them. Look it, just tell the truth. People need want to hear the truth. We desire truth. That's why we're wo- women of faith. That's why we chose Christ, because he is truth. So that's what I, I, you know, that's my thought on this. Amen. And speaking of truth, one of the things that Tim and I love most about the Lepanto Institute is that they are not afraid Mm-mm. to expose corruption and wickedness Absolutely. wherever it would lie. So I'm going to go to our candle of truth over here, Miss um, Alyssa, and I'm going to ask you, what do you think about the church? And you're exactly right, ladies. It is absolute cowardice and pandering. Wh- Alyssa, what do you think about the church hiding important scriptures away from modern women when they need it the most? Again, I think it has more to do with maybe it's just like, I don't want the bother. You know, there's things I'd rather do and I don't want the bother of all the the anger that I know I'm going to get. I mean, I love lots of priests. I listen to podcasts and I still hear them tripping all over themselves when they talk about things like Adam and Eve or like the Ephesians passage. And it's just like, father, you know, women are educated in our day, like, and maybe they are too angry, but let just speak it, speak it. And let, we all have to have that kind of conversion of heart you know, and be honest with ourselves that we are using self-love when we speak in anger against somebody else, that that's on me, that I have to have that conversion of heart. And that I think that that is what's lacking a lot in the church is that, that there's a lot of prelates who maybe there are very well-meaning ones, but they've lost a sense of what their authority is. You know, they haven't been taught it. They were men raised in a culture that says that any kind of male assertion of authority is toxic. Mm-hmm. And so for them, they just kind of pivot to a sort of, yeah, all right, well, then we'll let, let you guys run the show. You know, you need to participate more, whatever. And they don't have an understanding really of what true authority looks like. But obviously, we all see the rotten fruits of what happens when people fail to exercise leadership, especially when it's theirs from God to exercise. 
you know, the rotten fruits of it are everywhere in the culture that yes, women are angry, you know, because of feminism, but men in many ways have failed to lead because Mm -hmm. they have been taught that it's toxic Mm -hmm. when they do so. Absolutely. And I think that's in the church too. Oh, I a hundred percent agree. Do any of you have anything else you'd like to add to that faith? Yeah, I think that it's um, liberation theology that infiltrated the church. Um, and the, you know, some of the priests are, they're lost. They've lost their way um, because clearly they're giving um, precedence to, to human respect instead of the truth. And they're giving this, this precedence to, to take words out or, you know, we're not going to say man to, to give human respect to what, you know, the secular world deems protected classes um, because, you know, oppression, right? This is a whole liberation theology idea of some, you know, classes are oppressed for economic, political, whatever reason. And that that's what I, I have to believe because I, I have faith in, in our priests and I want to, um, so that's that's kind of where I've compartmentalized it. Yeah, and I, I've seen the unfortunate uh, trickle down, if, if you will, of a lack of male leadership to even really good, otherwise great outlets like, you know, live action where you have, you know, some of these women, these Catholic women. So I think who are trying really hard to do the right thing, but because of lack of of the church coming out and saying this is what we need from our church women, we get. You know, I, there was this meme that I think Tim showed me. It was from live action. It says abortion is the ultimate manifestation of the oppression of women. I mean, it's just it's all these feminist tropes that were the uh, otherwise good Catholic women are like mingling and meshing in with uh, the, trying to mesh in with truth. And it's just it's so unfortunate because if the church just came out and said, this is what we expect and really demand. And this is what God created a woman for clarification. And I think women, you know, like Lila Rose or others would, I think, I believe that they would conform themselves um, to the truth. Um, So, okay, let's, uh, I'm going to move on to um, our next question. And it is, um, I have a a chapter in my book uh, called Honoring Preferences Makes Marriage is great again. So <laughs> switching streams here. We're going to, I'm going to ask, in what ways do you honor the preferences of your husband and why, why is honoring a preference of your husband an important practice? Uh, let's see. I'm going to go right over there to Ashley. <laughs> um, despite my upbringing, I don't cook with bell peppers anymore. Very sad. <laughs> um, I think ultimately what I found is you know, the, these little things, these, you know, preferences does not, these are little things that I do out of love because I love my husband and I want him to feel loved and cared for and love is reciprocal. And so he feels loved. He reciprocates that back to me, which is what I need. That's really all that it comes down to. Um, That's really, that's really it. It's just all about the love and me choosing to do something because I love him, because I know it would make him happy. Absolutely. Samantha, would you like to add to that? Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, just to, to piggyback off of that, you know, there's, um, 
I, I think for me, it honoring the preferences and submission a lot of times go hand in hand. Like I, my husband, and I, I pick on him lovingly about this. He likes to eat the exact same thing for lunch every single day that he goes to work. <laughs> um, I make amazing food all the time, but he basically takes like a glorified charcuterie board to work with him. Um, <laughs> he likes two or three different cheeses, two or three different meats a couple of fresh vegetables and a fruit. And that's what he wants for his mm-hmm. lunch. Um, and I just go buy the stuff. I'm like, I am a hundred percent sure that I could make you a more delicious lunch than this, but that doesn't matter because this is the lunch that you want. Um, no matter how many times I've tried to tempt him with other options, he's like, no, I just want that. Okay. Um, and then, and then just the little things like I meal plan every week um, and just running that by him. Hey, does, does all of this sound good? Do you have any preferences for meals that you would like me to make this week? Um, do you want me to make your favorite meal on this day? Um, and then just also orienting my day around him. So he's, he's gone from 6 30 AM until about six o'clock at night. Um, you know, But even within those hours, I'm orienting my tasks to make sure that when he comes home, I'm 100% able to give him my attention other than like finishing up a little bit of dinner, right? So it can be hot when he has his work boots off and he changes out of his work clothes and he can sit down at the table. Um, And past that point, I'm orienting all of my tasks to being present for him. So that means having my chores done. Um, making sure that the kids are sorted, that we've at least attempted to get homework and things done. Um, and just, yeah, just, just showing that care. And I think that the, it's those little things that makes him realize that even though he's not here all day, he's in my thoughts all day. And he's still a, an integral part of my thought process all day long, every day. Oh, I love that. Thank you very much. Now, Lauren actually helped me to edit the newest version uh, version of uh, Ask Your Husband. And so it's funny because we've talked about this this topic quite a bit. What would you have to say about how do you honor preferences in your household? Um, like I said before, the learning how to be submissive, learning the preferences and all that was probably the biggest adjustment of uh, newly married life, having to do things different than I would, you know, have done them uh, as a single woman. Um, and so, yeah, I think, like Samantha said, going over every week, hey, here's the things that I was thinking about buying. Is there anything that you want um, from the list? Is, do all these meals sound good to you? Um, and if, my husband is quite the uh, enthusiast on trying new meals. So, you know, every week, instead of having, you know, the same thing over and over again, he's like, all right, we're going to try something else this week. And so just being flexible about what um, what he would want, even if, you know, I'm like, okay, that'll take me about three hours to figure out. Um, <laughs> but being willing and ready and like excited about that, um, just to show him that I really care about making him happy and making him feel um you know, loved and desired by me. Amen to that. How about you, Faith? Oh, well, um, you know, I don't really even look at it as preferences. Like I said, I, you know, we're celebrating 30 years this year. So at this point, (laughs) it's not even preference. It don't even think about it, but we've always had an ask your dad policy, I guess. It's not even a policy. It's just what we did as Mm -hmm. the kids grew up. You know, they, 
they would ask me if they could do something. And I would say, well, ask your dad and then kind of just pivot off of that. But um, my daughters, as a result, young, you know, they're young adults, but they still will call him um, and ask and seek his blessing and advice on things like faith and reason, education, politics, entertainment, even. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I think that's important because as a daughter, you know, I couldn't, I, I didn't really rely on my father for advice for anything. (laughs) And not that he could anyway, but I, I wanted to give that gift to my daughters. One of the most charming memories I think I have of your daughter's faith, um, that we just love, love your girls. But every time your husband would do anything, it was always like, oh, dad's so cute. Like, <laughs> every time. he would walk in the room and they would be like, dad's so cute. <laughs> they still do that. They still do that. <laughs> Ashley, do you have anything you'd like to add to the preferences of your household or your husband? I should say. <laughs> No, not really. Cause it really does. It's, it is just like what they said. I have not been married for 30 years. One day, one day. <laughs> You'll um, get there. Yeah, I will get there. <laughs> Cause I'm not doing this whole marriage thing again. Uh-uh. <laughs> That's what I tell me. I'm like, please don't never make me do this again. Um, <laughs> but it really does become, even after just six years of marriage, it does become such a, an understood part of how you or orient your day, as Samantha said, there's nothing that is going to be, it doesn't become as hard. <laughs> All of a sudden you, you are becoming again, more one flesh in a sense, even just through those little things. Absolutely. Is there anything anybody else would like to add to that question? I'd, I'd like to just add um, the flexibility, but that what stood out for me, I have to be, you have to be, I have to be flexible with Jess because he's very, um, he has a, such a busy day. I mean, phone calls coming back. I mean, always back to back. So um, he'll tell me, can we do this at 12 or have this for lunch or him? And I'll say, okay, I'll prepare. And he says, no, I decide. So I learned to just go with it. And, um, but the main preference that I honor my husband is at night when he says, okay, it's time to pray. And um, he'll say, I'll leave. And I have no problem with that because that's the way it should be. But there are times when he says, no, can you go ahead and lead? And and because he, he's either putting his clothes away and, you know, et ora et labora, you know, pray and that's work. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, that's, I, I think that's, because I, I, I recognize his authority um, especially these times, which are the most important times in our marriage and in um, the times when I need to honor my husband is as that time at prayer time, because I know that he has the authority to drive out any demons that are lingering in our home because of the prayer and his, uh, because of the natural order. Uh, he is a priest of our home. And uh, that's how I feel the most um, adamant, uh, I mean, for lack of a better word, that I honor him. So that's what I wanted to share. <laughs> you know, and I think that there's this bad attitude that I've noticed in the modern wife where it's, he'll take what I give him type of an attitude. Like I, th- not even asking your husband, what do you prefer? Do you, what meals do you like? 
what type of dresses do I look like the nicest in? But it's this attitude of he'll take what he gets. And for me in my marriage, I really try to ask Tim, you know, oh, what do you like? What not only what sort of meals, but hobbies and 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 dresses and and things of that sort. Because I really legitimately want to make my husband happy. I I he's given me such a wonderful life. The least that I could do is to just to turn to him every now and again, and be like, what do you want? What, what things do you like? So thank you so much for all of you for, for adding to that question. I think it's something that we just never hear about, especially in like the feminist swamp is honoring preferences of a man. What, who does that anymore? <laughs> so this next question I'm going to take volunteers for, because this is when my book was released, I thought I was going to get a lot of heat um, on a variety of different topics. I was a little bit surprised that I got as much heat as I got on the marital debt. So the question is, in what ways do you prioritize the marital intimacy? And what, in your view, happens to your vocation when it is not a priority? That last part of the, the question is probably the one I'll put the most emphasis on because I have gotten more emails from women or men, men, when the marital debt is out of order, so many bad fruits come from it. Do I have any volunteers that want to handle that one? I'll volunteer. Um, I'll do that. Um, Actually, this is a a subject that I have tried to share more um, with my friends and with different family members. Uh, Can you hear me all right? Uh, and because I think it was something that I struggled with the most when I was first married. Um, and even now, even now, um, and unfortunately due to a concatenation of circumstances, um, praise God, I've, you know, was raised Catholic, but just being a good Catholic girl doesn't mean that I'm prepared. A good Catholic girl does not mean I'm prepared to be a loving wife. Um, unfortunately, there was so many elements that I absorbed of like an excessive purity culture that I absorbed. And then you also, see, and cause we hear that a lot, you know, we hear that a lot in Christian and Catholic circles, just an excessive amount of, um, of purity culture, as I'll say, just not, not preparing women to truly be wives and to give ourselves bodily to our husbands. And that is, is the largest stumbling block in our marriage. And the only thing that has helped has been learning, first of all, learning about the marital debt. Um, why was I not taught that at the beginning of my marriage when I could have been so much happier and yeah. I could have figured something out more? Um, learning about the marital debt and realizing it is when you have maybe two people coming from great extremes or great, even from woundedness, this is the way giving ourselves to the Lord, to God, to each other is the only, only way this is going to work. And there's a great, also a great element of spiritual warfare. I, there is no it's not circumstantial that this is something that is absolutely the hardest thing in our marriage and in most, in most women's marriage to um, the devil comes out, comes at us all the time. And we have to pray. We have to actively work against 
the um, the workings of the evil one. And ultimately, though, <laughs> you also have to take things with um, with a certain amount of you can't take things too seriously, because then how in the world are you ever going to come together? It's not going to work. Right. And um, it's it really I can only say that realizing that the marital debt is such an important part of marriage has been absolutely transformative for our marriage. It's transformed every, not just what we do in our bedroom. It's transformed our entire marriage. It means that I can submit to my husband on a daily basis because I know that he loves me and he's not going to take advantage of me and that he cares about me and that this, that our marriage is a reflection of the Trinity. And it, it's a great mystery. And I speak in reference to Christ in the church, as Paul says, there's, there's so much that can be said here. And I think that I would, I wish that someone pray. Thank you to my friend three years ago who helped me through this and told me, actually talked to me and made me realize what was going on. But that that's, it's been incredible to realize what I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you also for volunteering because I, <laughs> I wasn't going to like call on somebody on that one, C- considering the amount of fire that <laughs> that one topic like caused in our like person, my personal life. Uh, like I, I even the words marital that people like start. It's again, it's that poison dinosaur. It's like freaking out. They totally flip out. So I don't know if anybody would li- else would like to address that that question. So yeah, if not, I'll, I'll, I'll- yeah, I'd oh, like to, I li- yeah, I'd like to address it. Um, you know, the Merrill Depp has three things going on here. You have the physical, the verbal, and the nonverbal communication. Um, if any of these three things are happening, so my, me personally, that gives me a clue that it's time to prior, prioritize my, my, our marital union. Mm-hmm. So that's how I, you know, prioritize. And for those that don't, I mean, are having issues with that, um, there could be a breakdown in communication. And it starts with the verbal, it really does. You know, if you're, you know, you know, not, you know, very, not nice to your spouse, I mean, just put it simple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is there going to be a, a, a marital debt that evening or the morning or whatever it, it happens? So, um I, I, I believe that communication is a driving force for a marriage, for the marital debt. And, and like I said, I, you know, I believe it's because, you know, you get your verbal cues from your husband or vice versa, nonverbal communications. So all these things play a major, major role in your marital debt. That's, that's what I would, what I would say. And, uh, and I find that's true. You know, because on Sundays, Jess and I, you know, we, we we just forget about politics. We forget, forget about everything and we just relax and we put music that we like and it sets the tone. So that's something that we do. So just wanted to share that with you. Thank you, my two brave warriors on that one. Anybody else <laughs> want to step into that Vietnam? I would like to 
to kind of chime in on this. I, I just want to say this is another area where feminazis have taken away some, one of the most beautiful things that we could share with our husbands mm-hmm. is they've turned it into something that is so just horrendously disgusting and pornographic or, you know, they're just too puritanical and can't go there. This isn't, and it doesn't even have to be either one or the other. I think that, um, I mean, the, the marital act is, is it's a, it's a beautiful, it's just beautiful. And you all know that you're married, but <laughs> to take that away from us, um, is, is really taking away our femininity. And I think that what is the hardest thing for women today is or young, young ladies, my daughters also is to, to know that this is, this is our, our gift. Our gift is the, is our beauty and what makes us feminine and, and, and womanly to, to our husbands is letting them know that we want them too. And I think there was a click in my mind, you know, 15, 20 years ago, where I realized there that my husband and I were so much more on just on the same wavelength everywhere when I expressed to him how much I wanted and needed him. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we as women do that enough. And I, and it's because feminazis have stolen the trust that we have in our husbands that we're supposed to have, because what would divide that? What would make me not want to do that is that I didn't trust him in some way in my complete nakedness. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, absolutely, and that is a tragedy, I think. And a very, I, um, oh, please go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. I just, um, I, I, I did want to add something to this and it, when I read this question, cause of course I, I asked my husband about all of these questions too. <laughs> um, and, uh, I'm naturally a pretty private person. So I'm like, I don't like it talking about the marital debt. I think it needs to be talked about. You're right. Because it, it's generally not talked about. So I think, um, especially depending on what background you come from, it can kind of smack you in the face when you get married. Um, <laughs> The, the, the biggest practical thing that I found um, was that, you know, I, I grew up in the Protestant evangelical um, purity culture that is truly toxic. It really is. There's a lot of issues mm-hmm. in that world. Um, so in my mind, I was like, well, men are like animals. So when he wants something from me. He will just come tell me because he won't be able to help himself. Like, I'll just know it'll be super obvious. Um, and it took years for my husband to finally communicate like, Hey, you're not actually making yourself available. Mm. You are busy with your hobbies. You are staying up late watching TV. You are scrolling social media. You are like, you're not actually making yourself available to me in the hours of relaxation that we have. So how, like, I don't want to come interrupt you because I already feel like you're not wanting to give me any attention. Um, And it, and it's especially for me, I'm a night owl. I would love to come up here to my sewing room 
and sit up here until one in the morning. And so that is when my mind is active and I'm creative and that's what I would prefer to do, but I don't anymore because we had that discussion and I took it to heart. Um, and I, I think um, also coming from the, the space that I did of purity culture, a very toxic one. Um, and I know that traditional community in general has a lot of varied opinions on theology of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that theology of the body is where we get some of that mutual submission nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that part of it, I will leave aside. But the way that he actually speaks about um, the marital embrace mm-hmm. and the gift that our bodies are was absolutely transforming for me. So I think if anybody wants to take any little nuggets from theology of the body, it's that, that if you have a very difficult time going from, you don't want to be a piece of chewed gum, but okay, now that you're married, it's totally fine to do all these things we told you not to before. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, Theology of the body does actually provide that, that I had never in my life heard the human body spoken of with reverence that way. I grew up with, I didn't realize it at the time and I can't remember the name of the specific heresy, but basically the heresy that was like, the body is dirty and the soul is good. Yeah, That's how I was raised in a lot of ways. Nobody said that to me specifically, but they really didn't have to with all the other teachings that they were giving me. Um, So converting to Catholicism in itself and having access to that teaching, um, allowed me to open up a part of myself that I had kept locked away because I thought it was shameful. That's exactly right. You know, it's funny is that I remember when I was still on Twitter before I kicked myself or my husband kicked myself off. (laughs) Not a good medium for me, a a woman with my, uh, my personality. Um, I remember one woman, she saw that I had as many kids as I I did and she, and that I was Catholic and she, she thought she was making a derogatory remark to me. She was like, Oh, you just like having sex with your husband. Like she, and she was saying it almost like it was a diss. And I was just, I was (laughs) just laughing with Tim afterwards. I was like, yeah, like that. that we're Catholics. We're supposed to like, enjoy having sex yeah, with our husbands. Sorry, you don't. Yeah, I know. It's like, is that am I supposed to be embarrassed? Am I was that was I supposed to be like burn? Like what? Yeah. <laughs> it, because the culture looks at it as something that is dirty or you know just like the 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 pornographic mindset of the of the of the culture has really stripped like you're saying Samantha the beauty and the purpose of the marital act and that we have like these people online that are like using it as like an insult when I'm just like this was something God created for a husband and a wife for so many beautiful reasons but I digress thank you so much for for all of you for for stepping into that one I'll let everybody take a breather on the next question <laughs> We'll walk away from the precipice a little bit. And I want to go uh, to Alyssa and ask, um, oh, I got a lot of emails about uh, beauty and modesty and how traditional woman, women fuse those two things, looking beautiful, but at the same time being modest as well. Yeah, I, I, I do feel like this is another landmine question. If you ever <laughs> see anything online, the, the minute somebody speaks the word modesty, like there's heads exploding. Um <laughs> Because there's, again, I think a mis- this idea that, well, it's all on the women. And, and it is, I think, primarily on us because, frankly, you know, God created our bodies beautiful. 
And so it is on us in that sense to treat them with the reverence of the creation that that we are. And I think people mistake that when they hear that. It's like the whole like, oh, you know, you're just saying women have to wear like, you know, gunny sacks or something because otherwise they're going to be looking like, you know, ladies of the night or something like that. And <laughs> and I obviously just I think that there is obviously prudential judgment, you know, here where some women might feel like, oh, well, maybe that's too tight or whatever. But I think in general, starting with that principle that our bodies are beautiful. God made us that way. There's nothing wrong with dressing that in a way that complements your figure. But think about why you're making the choices that you make. You know, you're here to honor God and to honor yourself as well. You know, and I kind of try to remind my daughter of that a lot. My my oldest mm-hmm. sometimes about some of the choices. It's like, hey, we're we're here to honor and to not cause our brothers to sin, frankly. I mean, that isn't entirely always on us. You know, men can certainly, they need to Mm -hmm. shield their eyes and do all that business. But if we are wearing something or behaving in a manner, the way we walk, whatever, that is purposefully designed to arouse, then that's not right. You know, we have to think about the respect we owe to our own bodies and also the respect to our brothers and their struggle, because frankly, men are more visual than women. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. It's funny. My, my, one of my friends, actually the friend that I deemed the uh, Southern sweet tea of hospitality wrote me, she said she had the greatest quote. She actually wrote this down for me. And she said, dresses should be tight enough to show that you're a woman, but loose enough to show that you're a lady. And I, loved, oh, I like that. Yeah, I loved that. I was like, leave it to a Southerner to really encapsulate, you know, yeah. just perfectly what, That's what that good. means. Yeah. <laughs> Lauren, I, you and I have also talked a lot about, about that, uh, beauty modesty. Do you have anything that you'd like to add to that question? Um, so we live on a, in a college town right now, um, go to a college town gym and boy, do we see a lot of things. Um, and I think that what's unique about being a traditional Catholic woman is that we can say so much with just how we dress, um, you know, we're really not dressing like the rest of society, either like little men, um, you know, like women wearing their pantsuits or whatever, or um, like women who probably should actually be in an adult show rather than out and about wearing nothing at all. Um, And so I think that that unique position um, allows us to talk, speak through, through what we're wearing. Um, I like what what Kelsey said about the, the tight enough that you're a woman, loose enough that you're a lady. Um, because I do think that there's also the, the purity culture, you know, that mm-hmm. swings things to the other side, um, to where a traditional women think that they have to look, you know, very dull and plain and, mm-hmm. and not interested in make, because the makeup industry has been, you know, taken over by certain types of people. I can't wear makeup at all. You know, it's like, yeah. Highlight your femininity. Highlight the things that make you look beautiful um, that will look, you know, different for some women or, you know, different from woman to woman. But in general, like the guidelines are highlight the the feminine form, um, you know, put a little blush on to make your cheekbone stand out, you know, throw on a little mascara, um, wear a dress instead of wearing, you know, jeans you know, out and about or to mass or whatever. Um, and I think that that, that is a way for us to be, um, witnesses to 
the transformative power of our faith and um, of a lifestyle that's rewarding and, you know, allows us to celebrate who we are completely. Absolutely. I don't know if you guys were, have seen on social media that recently there was this whole trend where women would basically go into a gym almost completely nude and then try to grab the reaction of men around them as if the men were the weirdos in this situation, given the things that they're actually wearing. They're walking past and they're like taking a, like a, a, their phone and like watching a man and a man would walk by and like try to grab the same weight or something. And they would say, Oh, look at this beast of a male, like staring at me when I'm just trying to work out at the gym while they're basically wearing not, but lingerie. (laughs) So I think you're exactly right, Lauren. It's, and, and also Alyssa, the, the, the scandal a woman can cause by her attire she needs to be mindful of that. We are looking after not only ourselves and our own souls, but we are looking after our Christian brothers as well and not causing, creating a, a situation where we're going to cause another to sin. So, so thank you very much. Um, and if I could just say one more thing sure. too, yeah. um, like in mass is the place that women should not want any focus put on them. Mm-hmm. So wearing yoga pants, you know, to mass or whatever, that's just, you know, you're highlighting the wrong thing. It's not about you. I love it when people come up to me after mass and say, oh, I didn't even know you were here. You know, I'm sitting in like the second <laughs> row. Like you can see me. <laughs> um, but uh, it's like, yeah, it's just not about me. I'm hiding. I don't want to be seen. I want Christ to be seen in this. Um and protecting, yeah, our brothers in Christ from from sin. It's the most, you know, Christ is there present in the mass. Um, for him to have to look up and be distracted by women dressing poorly is just not, that's just not the time and place for it either. Now, our, our I, next, um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, please. Sorry. I, I just wanted to add, and this is a... Um, uh, you, you mentioned the TikTok trend of the women going into the gym thing. Yeah, uh, please talk on, about that. Yeah. So, so it, this is actually adjacent. It reminded me of something mm, um, mm. on the on the Catholic side of TikTok. There are actually a lot of Catholics on TikTok who are making great videos and doing good work. Um, but uh, there's one particular person. She's a, a new convert, so you can imagine the zeal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she decided a few months ago that her stance was um, transparent veils. So lace veils at mass are the same thing as wearing a see-through dress to mass. Hmm. And this is the kind of purity spirals yes. that I just want to tell all the traditional ladies, please do not let yourself get into a purity spiral. As far as makeup and dress goes, are you enhancing right. Thank your beauty? You in a modest way, or are you trying to look and act like someone different? You don't want to do that. Right. Um, we don't want to cause our, our brother to stumble and we want to enhance the beauty that God gave us. If you're following that and you're, I think there is an argument to be made for dressing for, um, what you're doing. So when my husband and I go to the gym, I am not wearing one of my prairie dresses. That would be very (laughs) impractical and immodest. (laughs) Right. The gym. right. Um, but if I'm going to mass, I'm going to dress completely differently than I dress at the gym. Right. right. Um, but don't get into a purity spiral saying that Thank a you. lace veil is the same as a see-through dress is ridiculous. 
<laughs> I hundred so, percent. Thank uh, you for saying that. Cause I've gotten, um, cause Tim does a lot of content for in the trad community, if you will. And when I've appeared on screen, I have gotten just some outlandish emails about that sort of thing. Like, Oh, stuff's wearing way too much this and too much that. And it's just like, it, it, you're exactly spot on the purity spiraling. It's out of line. It's totally out of control. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for breaking in with that. I, that, that really like it's recalling, I'm recalling like specific emails right now. I'm like seeing them flash before my very eyes on that very topic. <laughs> uh, moving on to our next question. This is something can I, that can I talk, can I talk a yes. little bit about that? Yes, please. This yeah. is actually one that I really didn't write anything about. And it's because mm-hmm. it is a huge struggle. I raised three daughters through the Kardashian era. And the clothing was a, was really an issue nearly every day mm-hmm. um, because of, you know, they wanted to be in style, but um, well, you know what the style looked like, like mm-hmm. bottomless shorts and yeah. whatever. And we, um, you know, oftentimes when we're going somewhere that was a little more upscale or going to mass and our, our daughters, we, we would have to tell them, you know, you have to go in and change, but it eventually got to a point where they would ask, is this okay? Well, if you're asking me the question, then you already know the answer, mm-hmm. right? So, but it is, it is, this is another way, or this is one of the, the, the most insidious ways that feminism has usurped our roles as parents, because my daughters would say, it's what everybody else is doing. What's the big deal? It's just a pair of shorts, or it's just this. And it, it was a battle and, and almost a battle to the death for some of, for first, you know, in some instances, because they wanted to be so, in with the popular crowd or whatever, I, you know, I don't know what was going through their, their teenage mind. I mean, I grew up in Absolutely. the eighties. This wasn't a thing. <laughs> we, we had the yeah. worst fashion in the eighties. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I now, when I go to mass and see a young lady in yoga pants or dressed inappropriately, I, I say a prayer for their parents. Yeah. To, well, you know, hold strong, Christian soldier. Don't give up on your daughters. Um, and and that that was that. Like I said, this was the one that I just I I wrote nothing because I'm like this is this is an issue, and this is the reason another reason why we women have to come together and form this sisterhood so that we have a way to fight the battle for our daughters. And I'll confess, when I was a younger woman, I was 100% guilty of that. I did not realize um, when I was younger, like crop tops, like like those sorts of things. Like I was all about it <laughs> back in the day until I started realizing like younger in my like mid-20s, like I'm causing a scandal. Once that clicked to me, it's like it's not only how I'm presenting myself, but it's the scandal I'm causing my Christian brothers around me, it's that it all just came together right then and there. So I am not speaking on anything that I don't also just point the finger at myself. on. <laughs> but it's, but it's, it's such a battle in the home mm-hmm. uh, and parents have to stay strong. And it's, it's so hard because we don't want to see our children feel isolated or, you know, they're just, they, they want to fit in, but 
we have to find a way to tell them what you're trying to fit into is like, you know, putting a, a, a round peg in a square hole. You, Absolutely. It's not, it's not your world. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, I'm going to uh, just boil it down to two more questions so that we can get you guys out of here um, a little bit on time today. But um, the, the next question I have, Faith, you and I have actually talked about this one a lot. So I'll go first to you is we've, you and I remember back in the day, we would talk about women who get around other women and just immediately start bashing either their own husbands or even your husband. It's I've noticed more and more in uh, female social cir- circles, this acceptance that a woman will get around a group of women and immediately start complaining about her husband. Oh, my husband. So this, oh, my husband doesn't do that. Can you just say a word about how utterly distasteful and disgusting that is? Yeah, yeah, what a bore. Like I have nothing else to do right now but to listen to, you know, what your husband does that you don't like. What it brings to mind for me is um, the ghost of Christmas present in A Christmas Carol. When he opened his robe and out tumbled these two raggedy little children. (laughs) He He said, these are man's. This is ignorance. And this is want mm-hmm. the woman that berates belittles and emasculates her husband is that's the manifestation of losing the love of your life through ignorance. Mm-hmm. And then you're so broken that you cannot give love to those who want it and need it most from you. And then it's just an ugly, vicious cycle. I think, um, yeah, if, if there was an island that we could just put those women on. That's <laughs> okay. uh, because uh, that, that island is known as social media. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and but I mean, and that that's that's feminism for you. You're never happy. You're just, you know, crotchety old 21 year old complaining. You know, it, it's awful. I don't know how to handle it still gracefully. And I still pray about that. Ladies, if you'll pray for me on that, when, when a woman gets started, I just, I give them the look of not interested and yeah. Okay. Moving on. Thank you for sharing. No, no. What I normally do in that situation when that happens to me is I just start praising my husband's intelligence and looks and his athletic ability. I love that. I just come right at it with, oh, that's interesting. My husband is the greatest man that has ever lived and will ever live. And so like, yeah, 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 no, my husband doesn't do that. Okay. <laughs> we talk about something else. No, I, I, um, I know, I know we did, we talked, we actually had a really good and fun conversation about these, these mm-hmm. women. And I don't know, my mom ha- holds a PhD in this. Mm-hmm. So it actually, you know, hits me the close to home when women start doing that to their husband and, and honest. And my parents are in their seventies and my, my father is probably one of the most whittled down shell of a man because of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- this is, this is your future lady. You're going to have nothing to offer to your daughters and nothing to offer to your grandchildren because you're doing this to your husband. And, and I think if we were being honest to the woman uh, in in this, in that situation, we just turn to her and say, you're the one that picked him. Like, how smart are you? Like if you picked a bad guy, choice. yeah, this is, your- 
Yeah. You're making like she's complaining about him, but I'm like, lady, this actually is about you and your choices and your inability to pick a good husband if you're out there constantly or, complaining. Or your inability to be a, a good first mate and help yeah. him, you know, fix his error. I've I, I've had this conversation with women both in real life and online, and I'll tell you the worst place for this is online women's groups even Catholic groups like on Facebook, I left all of them because that's all you hear is complaining about husbands. But in, um, on the videos that I make, uh, I'll get comments. Um, but also I've had friends in my life that they will start complaining about their husbands. And I say, first of all, I don't do spouse bashing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you would like a sounding board about this issue that you're having, I am more than happy to help you noodle this out, right? But Mm -hmm. I also need you to come to the table with how you could be changing this situation. Because what Mm -hmm. I'm hearing from you right now is that you're putting all of the onus on him to change all of his behaviors. He is a human person. He is flawed and broken. Um, But guess what? So are you. Mm -hmm. And if you want to dig down into this, you probably have faults that are contributing to this issue. Um, Just a really simple one. Oh my gosh, he leaves his socks all over the floor. Okay, well, have you taken note of where he's throwing his laundry repeatedly? Put a basket there. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's it's simple stuff like that, that when when a woman has been receptive to that, um, they will come back and tell me, you know what, that it, it worked. I put a basket there and now I'm not aggravated anymore because at the end of the day, I cannot change my husband, mm-hmm. but I can change myself. Right. And I'm sure that the book that Anita mentioned, I'll have to pick it up and read it and see, <laughs> but um, sounds like that's a very similar message to what's in there. So it, I, I have had those frank discussions. So if you guys have friends in your life, just first of all, say, Hey, I don't do husband bashing. Don't come to me with that because I'm not going to be a part of that because that's sinful and you're making me complicit. (laughs) So I'm not going to go there, but I'm happy to help you figure this out because I think that it is important to have that sisterhood. It's important. Um, I'm a huge believer in the fact that we are not to teach and instruct men, but we are told in the Bible that we are to teach other women. And that's the, the line of feminism the, the f- feminism has broken the matriarchal line because there is a place for matriarchy and that is within the community of women that we are culture builders. The homemakers have run the cult, the, the small community culture for eons and feminism ripped that out from under us. So now we just have a bunch of women floundering having no idea what to do. And the only person that they're pointing the finger at is the only other person in their house, which is their husband. That's just, just beautifully stated. Thank you so much for saying that. And, you know, uh, that's the point of this conference is like women, women helping women. I was like, was it men for others with the Jesuits, like women helping others uh, in this conference. And also on your point about a friend coming to you, uh, for counsel about her husband. What I always like to tell my friends is that your I always tell my girlfriends this, your best friend is your husband. And if you're going to come to me for advice and counsel, I want you to sum up the, the situation as if your husband is sitting right here in the room with us and give him the honor and respect if he were hearing every word that is coming 100%. out of your mouth. 
Yeah. Yes. I had, I have to, let me just share this really quick. I, I, like I said, my mom holds a PhD in, in husband bashing mm-hmm. and I wasn't a slouch myself early in my marriage. And I was complaining about specifically the underwear and sock thing to, uh, to, to a woman. And she said she, she'd lost her husband and I didn't know. And she said, I would give anything in the world to have to pick up my husband's socks today. Mm-hmm. Whoa. That, I, yeah, that was like a moment that I thought, you know what, really, this is, I would miss this. Yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't there, I would miss it. Right. Amen. Well, in wrapping up, that's a great segue. Um, I'll to go around, grow around the circle here. And I want you guys to call out anything that you have coming up, your husband's businesses, anything like that. But in closing, I'd like to hear on the flip side of that question, what you love most about your husband and the things that he's done to just bring joy and love to your life. I'll start with mine, my husband, Tim. Uh, he has brought me my faith. Uh, he's taught me in every way to be a better person. He is, I know a lot of people online look at him and the whole all patriarchy stuff, and they have this grand notion of who they think he is. But let me tell you, he is the most loving and supportive and just kind person I've ever met. And he has the way he treats our children, mostly girls, it's just they absolutely adore the ground that he walks on. I do too. And I just can't speak highly of uh, more highly of him. I met him when he was, gosh, what was it? I was 18. He was 19. And he was just this shining exemplar of what a man should be. And I saw it immediately. So there's there's my Tim. I'll go straight over here to Alyssa. Uh, so I think I love the most about my husband is that, I mean, I think women are more verbal in general anyway, but as a, someone of a more sanguine temperament, I like to talk and he listens to me, you know, he doesn't cut me off or be like, okay, done now. Like he, he listens and not just in a half hearted sort of way, he really does listen to me. And certainly takes, we do a lot of, I do a lot of good natured teasing and he takes it all the right way. Like we have a lot of fun in our marriage and that's something that I, I, I find so great about it because I grew up with a, you know, there was tension in my household, like when I was a child and I didn't want to have a kind of contentious relationship with my husband. And so I appreciate that, that he you know, if, if things maybe in the room are getting a little tense, like sometimes I'll drop a little joke or something. And he immediately responds to that. Like he doesn't escalate, you know, we're able to kind of find that place where we can kind of get back to just giving each other a hug and, and it's, and having Mm -hmm. fun again. And that is, is something I really love about him that he is able to kind of zig and zag in that way. Um, (laughs) you know, and that we can talk about things, that are serious and important, but that we can also come back to a place where we can have fun again. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here today. Ashley, what do you have to say? (laughs) What's coming up with uh, Coleman's Handcrafted? Oh, mercy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Prayers, um, please, because we have a big install. The the first job that we took that allowed us to be self-employed 
Woodworkers is we're going to install it in late May, early June. So prayers that everything goes well. Um, I'm so proud of Andrew and just, I guess, most immediately that he has su- supported us <laughs> with his work that I did not think I didn't think this was going to work. Didn't think this was going to work. Here we are. Um, but I most love about Andrew. Um, he makes me laugh all the time, which I didn't realize was important to me until I was laughing all of the time, every day. Mm-hmm. And I also just loved that he's patient with me and that we've grown together. Um, I was not like this when I first got married. Neither one of us was. Um, and we grew up together in many ways. And the fact that he's been patient with me as I have learned how not to be the strong, independent young woman, don't need no man into more of a, a loving person. <laughs> and um, he's been patient with me in, in all aspects of that and has stepped up to be the man that I need him to be. I, he, is, he has stepped up to be that man, the one that we were calling on earlier, men step up. He's done that. And I, I'm so grateful and I am so blessed. There's nothing else to say. Amen to that. How about you, Lauren? <laughs> uh, my my husband, he's great in many ways. Um, the thing that I love most about him is how thoughtful he is. Um, on our third date, um, we were having a heated discussion, some might call an argument debate about uh, federalism and the anti-federalist papers and (laughs) secession and stuff like that. So I love that we can have such deep, meaningful conversations. You know, he asks me really tough questions to make me think about um, who I am and and things in our lives. Um, And he also is just a very thoughtful decision maker. I know that he's going to put in the right amount of time to make a decision, you know, put in the right effort and thought into that. Um, and that he considers every angle, um, for something. And so I've, you know, I, I couldn't have married a better man in that regard. Amen. Samantha. Um, favorite thing about my husband is he's, he's absolutely sacrificial. The, the part of Ephesians, right. That, um, husbands lay down your lives for your wives, the way that Christ laid his life down for the church. And since day one, my husband has done that. He has been absolutely fearless in um, doing whatever it took to provide for his family. Uh, We had agreed upon when we started dating that once we had children, I was not going to work anymore. Um, And there have been some very huge sacrifices made to keep that promise. Um, he, he completely, he moved across the country alone. Uh, I sold my engagement ring to get him a Greyhound ticket to move across the country to start a career. He knew absolutely nothing about to come be a journeyman electrician. Um, and he worked, saved up money so we could get a moving van for me and my son to follow him. That, that is the kind of man that he is. And I tell him all the time that like his sacrificial nature comes so naturally to him that it is such a gift of virtue that I strive for because um, that takes so much trust. It takes so much trust in himself, but in, in God ultimately. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we got married when I was 20 and he was 21 my parents were not happy. His mom was not happy. Um, my dad thought that he wouldn't be able to take care of me. 
Hmm. And I told my dad, I said, if there's one thing I know about this man is that he will always take care of me. He will do whatever it takes to take care of me. And I wasn't wrong. Um, And as far as stuff that I have coming up, so I am on TikTok. I know a lot of people have very mixed feelings about that platform. Um, You're doing the Lord's work there. I'll say that. (laughs) Yes. So I I have actually had a lot of positive things come out of being there. There's more women that want this life than are willing to admit it. And I see it every single day in my comments um, that they feel afraid to say that they want this life, but they do. But as I said, my my heartfelt desire is to give women back the skills that were stolen from them. Um, And it's why I don't use the moniker stay at home mom. I hate that phrase. Mm -hmm. I'm a homemaker and I'm a culture builder. Um, So with TikTok possibly getting shut down, we'll see how that goes. Um, I do want to start moving over to YouTube. So I'm going to start filming. I'm trying to get technology figured out. Um, because TikTok is far easier for that. You just need a phone. Mm. Um, but once I have that channel up and running, I'm hoping that it can kind of fill a Catholic void. Um, we have a lot of Catholic women that do have channels and some of the work they do is great. Um, but I specifically want to, to speak into this space of homemaking um, and bringing back that matriarchal line into the home that was broken. Amen. Well, let us know when you have that up and we'd be happy to push that to Tim's audience. So that sounds great. Thank you. Okay. Miss Faith. <laughs> All right. Um, I have nothing coming up, but if you haven't logged into my husband's site, City of Truth, please do. Um, he does send out weekly articles also that with very thoughtful information, specifically focused around um, homeschooling moms and how to homeschool, why homeschool, um, really kind of gets a little more cerebral than I like sometimes, but some people like that. So that's okay. Um, I'm thankful for my husband for motherhood. When I was, I was in a, a red faced feminist, but I was a feminist. And when I met him, I told him, I don't want children. It's not my bag. Don't have a maternal bone in my body. Um, and uh, of course, we we had children. So I, I, I thank him for that because it's been a gift that just keeps on giving. Um, mm-hmm. Also for being a good father. He's a great, he's, he's just a great man. I love him. Um, so I'm going to stop right there. But I want to say the one thing that I love about our, um, our life, our daily thing, what, what just kind of puts the exclamation point on the day for me, for 30 years, he spoons me every night. <laughs> And that's just my most favorite moment of the day. (laughs) I did not know that. We're going to end in a a tear. I'm like crying tears of like, oh, I'm verklempt. That's very sweet. (laughs) Even when we're angry. Oh, that is just, that's just what a, what a way to end. Okay. You can't top that. So I am going to just say thank you so much again to my enchanting Rose, Firefly, Seamare, Sparrow Owl, and Bookworm for joining me today. This wraps up our very first Ask Your Husband Woman Summit. If you like this video, please like, leave us a comment. What did we not talk about? What did you agree with? What did you disagree with? And if you want to see more anti-feminist content. Uh, We will be here for you. (laughs) Thanks again. And day is full. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.
of the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.